The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. David Vendrunen. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Looking again at Deuteronomy this morning. I have I chosen Deuteronomy 19, verse 21, for a text in which I'll be speaking. For those of you who know me well, it may seem to be a horrible stereotype and terribly predictable that I've chosen the Lex Talionis statement in Deuteronomy, but that's what I did. And uh, to give this a little context, let me read verses 15 through 21 of Deuteronomy 19. Hear God's word. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, Then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently. And if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. This ends the reading of God's word. I made reference just a moment ago to the Lex Talionis. Some of you know what I'm referring to. Some of you probably don't. That's that's a Latin term that means the law of retribution or retaliation. And that's the technical term that's uh, used for this formula that we find here in verse 21, eye for an eye, life for a life, tooth for tooth. And this is a a phrase or a a formula that appears uh, three times in the Mosaic Law. It appears in Leviticus and in Exodus, as well as here in Deuteronomy. Uh, You can find it uh, back in the covenant with Noah after the flood, the same idea, not in exactly the same words. He who sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. It's, it's the same judicial formula. And you find the idea, it's all over the scriptures, actually, if you begin to look for it, which you probably haven't, but I have. So you can take my word for it. And maybe that's a little bit disturbing when you first hear that because it seems kind of primitive, It seems kind of brutal. Uh, And I think there's a lot that could be said for that, but but one point that I want to make as we move on from here, before we go on, uh, is I think it's important to remember that this lex talionis, its point is not physical mutilation. It's not holding up physical mutilation as some sort of a great ideal or holding out the 
The ideal society is the one in which you have many one-handed people with very few teeth. What is the point? The point is that justice is important and that justice needs to be proportionate. Punishment should not be too little and it should not be too much. There should be a proportionality between the wrong done and the punishment inflicted. And in so many societies through history that have enshrined the lax talionis, like ancient Israel, but not at all only ancient Israel, uh, it, is, it was commonly accepted that you could substitute penalties, perhaps monetary penalties, rather than physical mutilation uh, for, for personal injury cases, uh, as long as that proportionality is, is maintained. Well, without saying more about that, I would like to turn immediately to the other thing that is said in verse 21, beyond this basic statement of the lax talionis. You'll notice the opening of verse 21, your eye shall not pity. And that may be in some ways even more troubling than the statement of the lax talionis. Does God really want us, or did he really want his people long ago, not to pity? Pity is an interesting word, and we'd have to do some thinking about how uh, the range of ways in which we use it. But I think ordinarily we would think of pity as, as a good thing, as something along the lines of compassion and sympathy and our, our heart understanding other people's situations. We would think of it ordinarily as a, as a virtuous sign that people show some pity And yet, God says here, do not show pity. If you look throughout the book of Deuteronomy, you may notice that there are uh, a number of other almost identical statements. Your eye shall not pity. And in Deuteronomy, universally, pity is a thing to be avoided. Pity is never commended in Deuteronomy. It is always prohibited. And it's always in the context of be sure that you do justice. In Deuteronomy 7.16, your eye shall not pity when it comes to wiping out the Canaanites from the land. In Deuteronomy 13.8, your eye shall not pity when it comes to putting to death those who worship false gods. In Deuteronomy 19.13, Your eye shall not pity when it comes to putting to death a murderer. Perhaps the most interesting one, Deuteronomy 25, verse 12. Your eye shall not pity a woman who intervenes in a fight between two men and grabs a man in a place where a man should not be grabbed. Do not show pity. Now, as is often the case in the Mosaic Law, The justice that human beings are called to do is to reflect God's own justice. God will say things like, you shall not acquit an an innocent or a a guilty person because the Lord abhors justifying the guilty. And so our justice, the justice of the Mosaic Law, was to in some way imitate God's And that actually is consistent uh, here in this case as well, because in many places in the Old Testament, God comes to his people and he says, I will not show pity when I come in judgment. 
And uh, I think the place in the Old Testament where we find that the most is the book of Ezekiel. It's uh, very often in Ezekiel. God is telling his people, if you think about the context of Ezekiel, he's, this is the time in which God is bringing these curses of the covenant to bear, and the people are being sent into exile. And repeatedly, God says, I'm not going to show pity. God's judgment is going to come without pity. I think we can basically say, as we look at so many of these instances throughout the Old Testament, the use of this word, that pity is generally described as the enemy of justice. To show pity in so many texts, is to fail to do justice as God does justice in this proportionate way, in this very attentively detailed way. Perhaps an exception that proves the rule is Psalm 72, verse 13, which describes, you remember Psalm 72, describes this coming messianic king. And what is this king going to do? Well, the king is actually going to show pity. He's going to show pity to the poor and the needy and the oppressed. But actually, if you read the context, what you see is he's going to show pity to the people who aren't getting justice but deserve it. In other words, they're victims of injustice. It's okay to pity those who are victims of injustice and not getting justice. So you see here where pity is a good thing, It's, again, in the service of justice, not in the service of not giving justice. So here in Deuteronomy, Israel is to be like God in not showing pity, but in doing justice. And perhaps one of the reasons why we find this expression here, as we do on a few other occasions, several other occasions in Deuteronomy, is because here at the end of Deuteronomy 19, God is not simply concerned about some wrong that is done, some wrong that's done against him or against other people. There is a sort of a wrong that is done that throws into question the entire judicial system itself. All right, there are, you can do a wrong that is an injustice that doesn't actually question the justice system. But you see what's going on here in Deuteronomy 19, is that the whole system of justice is being called into question. If you are a false witness, if you make an accusation wrongly against someone so that that person receives punishment, uh, you're calling into question the whole ability of this Mosaic law to do justice as it is supposed to do. That's a very serious thing. One's eye should not pity. One should do justice. Well... A complicating factor here is that once in a while, God actually says that he shows pity. And it's very interesting that he does so in the book of Jonah, chapter 4, verse 11. You read the book of Ezekiel, God is coming to his Old Testament covenant people, and he tells them again and again, I'm going to judge you, and I am not going to show pity. And then he talks to his prophet Jonah about the pagan Ninevites. And he says, you Jonah, you showed, you showed pity to this vine. Shall I not show pity to these Ninevites? So he's not going to show pity to his covenant people, but he's going to show pity to these pagans. 
You think about it in that way, we can, we can have some pity for Jonah. We can have some sympathy for why Jonah was confused and maybe a little angry. Why would God show pity to these people? But we also do find, for example, in Joel chapter 2, that in the last days, God says the people, the priests, are going to cry out for God to pity his people, and God is going to answer. He is going to show pity to those even after their great sin. Well, what do we make of all of this? How do we, as we think about this text in Deuteronomy, as we think about what this says about God and what this says about our responsibilities as those who are God's people. First, what about God? What do we conclude about God? Is God a God of pity in some way? Or in what way is he? And in what way is he a God of justice who shows no pity? Well, let me make two observations here with regard to God. On the one hand, it is very important to affirm that God is a God of justice who in some very important senses does not show pity. We should not be embarrassed about that. And in fact, in some respects, this may be a great apologetic point that we as believers want to hold out for the world. We don't need to be embarrassed that God is a God of justice, of talionic justice, of justice without pity. In what way is that? Well, we know that this world is filled with injustice, and that means it is filled with those who are wronged. It is filled with victims. All of us, at least in some small ways, are victims of injustice. But there are many people in this world who are victims of horrible injustice, life-ruining injustice, for whom there will not be any any restoration or any recompense in human courts. And what hope does the world hold out for such victims? And I'm not just talking about victims of just ordinary crimes. This includes the church, doesn't it? Christians, the church of Jesus Christ, are are often victims of horrible injustice that will never be made right in human courts. This is, a very, this is a very serious matter, and the world ultimately cannot hold out any hope for such people. I mean, we can try to make our justice systems a little bit better, but we know that even at their best, systems of justice cannot, cannot make right the wrongs of this world. But one of the things that Christianity does teach is that there is a God who does justice, and that even if in this world we cannot see that justice always being done and will not always be done in ways that we can observe. That there is a final judgment coming. And in that final judgment, God will make things right. And we don't know exactly how that's going to take place. We can't lay out the details of that. But that is an important message for us to have for the world and for the victims of injustice in this world. Secondly, however... Mentioning the final judgment, it is very sobering for all of us, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, God's justice without pity would consume us all. Because all of us, even those who are victims of injustice, 
are also perpetrators of injustice in small and large ways, and that we know that if God on the last day were to hold all of us accountable eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, without any other consideration being brought to bear, we would all be lost. And so we really want God to be a God of pity too, don't we? And it is very encouraging to know that God could look at the Ninevites long ago, those poor, sorry, pagan Ninevites, and show pity. Because that's basically who we are, aren't we? I mean, we are the Ninevites. We are those living outside the bounds of the covenant land. We are not God's old covenant people. We are those who by nature are lost in the darkness of paganism. And yet God is a God of pity. And the even better news that we have for the world beyond that there's a final judgment coming, is that there is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ in which we see that pity of God, that deep compassion of God for the lost. And we see how God could effect that compassion in a way that did not in the least violate his justice, that did not cause him to compromise the lex talionis because All the claims of justice were accounted for as the Lord Jesus Christ bore our sins and bore our curse due to us for our sin. And where does that leave us? How ought we to conduct ourselves in light of the pity and the justice of God? Well, again, let me make two observations. First, There is an important place for justice in this world, an important place for us to support that justice of the world. I mentioned that in the covenant with Noah, the lex talionis is set forth, and that covenant is still in place, still the foundation for our human legal systems. And Paul can confirm in Romans 13 that civil magistrates bear the sword in order to punish evildoers. Now, I would make the case that our civil justice systems today should be mixed with some pity, with some mercy. After all, the Noahic Covenant is a covenant of common grace, and some of that common mercy of God ought to be evident in our justice systems. But God still wants us to be concerned about justice, the justice of this world and the injustices that are perpetrated. And so... We ought to be supportive of the work of civil magistrates insofar as they do justice and as it lies within us to encourage them towards that work. But of course, secondly, it is also very important for us to realize that that's not our only calling and not even our highest calling because we belong not only to civil communities that are still called to do justice, but we belong to the kingdom of heaven that our Lord Jesus established And as disciples of that kingdom, citizens of that kingdom, we have those very striking words that are given to us in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42, where Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Indeed, they had heard that three times in the Mosaic law. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. 
And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, this is difficult. You've heard that it was said, and they'd heard it in the scriptures. And Jesus says, but I tell to you, and he tells them to do something different. It's a common understanding, even among the Reformed, that these statements here in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, you've heard it said, but I say to you six times here, that Jesus is clarifying what the law of Moses said from abuses of it, from the Pharisees. And I think that is almost certainly wrong, and I think this is good evidence of why that view is wrong. Jesus is not clarifying what the Lex Talionis said. The people of Israel were not to hear the Lex Talionis and conclude, oh, we should turn the other cheek. No. Jesus is saying, you do not practice the Lex Talionis in my kingdom. That is not what my kingdom is about. And yet, should we not understand Jesus' words here and the practice of the kingdom that should be embodied in our churches in light of God's pity mixed with justice that is found in the cross of Christ. Some of you who have been in my Christian life class have heard me say this, uh, but I'm going to say it again here. I think what we find here in Matthew 5, 38 through 42 is a kind of living parable of God's love for us in the cross of Jesus Christ. For what do we find in the cross? We find not God setting aside justice in order to show pity. We find God in his immense wisdom finding a way to show us pity while upholding all the claims of justice. And what do we find here? We who are the citizens of Christ's kingdom, we are called to forsake the lex talionis, but not by simply setting aside justice or ignoring the claims of justice. You see, what did God do for us in Christ? We, you might say, slapped God across the face. And the lex talionis demanded that God slap us back. And yet what he did is not simply walk away and say, I'll forget about it. He took the second slap himself. The claims of the lex talionis were met, but the one who was slapped the first time took the second slap as well. And that is what we're called to do here in Matthew 5, to exhibit the work of God in Christ, not to take the slap and then simply to walk away and say, well, it doesn't matter, forget about the claims of justice, but it is to take the second slap giving evidence of the fact that in Christ the claims of justice are satisfied, that we too can show pity, compassion, forgiveness, without, in the process, trampling on the claims of justice. And surely it is something like this that Paul had in mind in the beginning of Galatians 6, 
when he said, if you, your brother sins against you, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Bear one another's burdens, and so do what? Fulfill the law of Christ. Here, the law of Christ we find here set forth in Matthew 5. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this text that you have set before us. We do marvel at the purity, the holiness, the righteousness of your justice. We know that, Lord, you cannot look upon injustice and give any approval to it, that it is an abomination in your sight, and that you are pleased when those who bear your image also are appalled by injustice and desire to see justice kept. But Father, O Lord, as we come before you as readers of Deuteronomy and sinners, we confess, O Lord, that your justice would consume every one of us if that was all that we knew about you, if that was the only thing that you revealed to us. How we thank you, O Lord, that in your marvelous wisdom and your marvelous love, you have found a way to maintain your justice and yet to show pity to poor creatures like us. And so with the Ninevites, we do repent. We do turn to, the, to Christ and his cross. And in faith, we receive your forgiveness, O Lord, and praise you that your justice, as well as your mercy, is so well displayed there. And we pray that you would make us lovers of justice, not justice alone, but those who love your justice mixed with mercy. And may we be those who are eager even to bear one another's burdens for the sake of showing forth your love and for building your kingdom or supporting the work of your kingdom here in this world. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2015, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.